So today we're going to start a new series called Overwhelmed, and um, this is, is going to be a really great series for us. Uh, uh, we've we've coming out of, of a series called Find Your Place, and we talked about the importance of when you found when you once you found your church, find your place. And uh, just going to the next step of, of just going from attending to serving and what that means for you to get involved somewhere, to get plugged in somewhere, to use your skill set, your giftedness for God's glory. And then today we're going to talk about uh, being over overwhelmed. And the goal of this series today is simply to detox the soul, to rid our lives of fear and insecurity and drama and apathy and just to, to detox and, and get our, our hearts back anchored into the Word of God in terms of being overwhelmed. So the Word reads in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that we are a three-part being. We are body, we are soul, and we are spirit. And uh, it's, it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your spirit, soul, and body be kept complete. And so I bring this up today because God wants you healthy in all three of those areas. Healthy in your body, in your soul, and in, in your spirit. Ma matter of fact, uh, Christ's ministry, when you look at it, it wasn't just uh, wisdom and insight into death and eternity, but one-third of his ministry time was spent, it, it involved health care. And so one-third of of his ministry was spent improving people's body to heal them of something, to resurrect them, to open a blind eye, to heal a lame person, to, to be involved in that, in that aspect of their, their, their being, body, soul, and spirit. So there are countless reasons that we can find ourselves overwhelmed. We Sometimes we uh, look at our lives and the fact that we're overwhelmed is so obvious. It's like a mountain range. We see it, we identify it, and then there's other areas of our lives that we feel overwhelmed in and they're, they're kind of slippery and sneaky. It's subtle as, as a, a breeze. And so uh, some of us this morning, or all of us, we're on a spectrum of that because uh, we're living the same life. We're under the same pressures and tensions and what, whatnot. And so being overwhelmed is a part of our everyday life. I was thinking yesterday about my grandfather's life, and he died a few weeks of being 101. And he grew up very, very poor. His, he and his brothers would often share shoes. They, they would have one pair for three or four of them. His father was a sharecropper in rural Arkansas, and he would tell us about getting to go in, into town once a month for all of their staple items. And if he and his siblings behaved, they would all get a piece of pe peppermint uh, because of their good behavior. So in his lifetime, he witnessed the, in both the industrial and the technological rev revolutions. And it was in the 1920s and on one of those trips into town that he saw a car for the first time. He tells a story about how all the kids heard this strange noise and they run out in the street and they're, they're looking and trying to explore and observe what this new noise is that they've all heard. In the 1930s, he listened to the Grand Ole Opry on, on the radio for the first time. In the 40s, he saw the effects of the atomic bomb. In the 50s, he bought a television and in the 60s, he turned on that television and saw a man on the moon. In the 70s, Journey released their debut album. It has nothing to do with my grandfather, but it's very important. Okay? In the 80s, he watched me fly a plane from a home computer. In the 90s, my dad bought him a cell phone, and in 2010, he said, no one writes checks anymore. 
So he spent many phases of his life overwhelmed by mere human achievement. That that the moment he thought his routine was great, it would suddenly change because of, of a human advancement. And so the flip side of being overwhelmed, and I'll camp here for just a second, is that you can also be overwhelmed by, by goodness. You can be overwhelmed by, by grace in your life. And if I use a biblical example, I would use the woman at the, the well, and she, she knew what she had done. She had consciously made a choice to sin. She was caught in that sin and knew full well what the consequences were. And when she was approached and when Christ intervened for her, She was overwhelmed by a grace because she received forgiveness and leniency and a second chance. And so she could not believe what what was happening. The Bible is, again, chocked full of examples of people who received an outcome of mercy or grace or goodness or forgiveness in our own lives. We see the same thing. We're overwhelmed with gratitude toward God and, and His grace and mercy. The onset, though, of being overwhelmed is found in our thought life. And this is where I want to stay and spend my time teaching this morning. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 gives us this this big challenge. He says, Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. Cultures have creatively responded to being overwhelmed. In in Europe, there was once a hotline that you could call, and for a fee, you could curse at someone until you felt better about it. Uh, There's actually a therapy where people are asked to reflect on an unresolved issue in, in their life and then let out uncontrollable screaming. The rest of us call this marriage, but if they want to call it therapy, that's fine. When I read an article yesterday about top ways to de-stress, the top four were kissing, I don't know where that comes from, but kissing, swearing, eating, and hoarding, okay? So when I get stressed, I want to eat. When I get stressed, I want to curse. When I get stressed, I want to take what's mine and get it closer to me. And, but all these are just examples of ways that we've distracted ourselves from the real reason that we are overwhelmed, So let me sum up what I want to say this weekend in in one sentence. God is far more concerned about changing your mind than changing your circumstance. Here's why. A lot of times we pray, but we pray amiss, as as the Bible says, because we have expected an outcome that is different than how God wants to work it out. And so we pray in the hopes that the creator of the universe and all of his sovereignty will come down into our circumstance. And like a puppet master, he will begin to manipulate the people in our lives that we're struggling with. That he'll make your boss sweeter. That he'll make your spouse kind. That he will make your children well-behaved. That suddenly life on a dime just turns and spins because God has sprinkled something over the people and has manipulated the circumstance and changed it. But God is more concerned about changing how you view and perceive the circumstance so that life can come from you and effectively change the circumstance around you. Okay? So Proverbs 23 also tells us this, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. 
One version says, as a man thinks, so it is. Meaning this, that my thought life is so powerful that what I think about can become reality. What I think about and ponder on and meditate and dream up and wish for and hope for and soak on can become reality when it gets in my mind and drips down into my heart and my heart active and it boils out of me into an action. The things that I have thought about and dwelt upon and meditated on become reality as a man thinks. So is he. I love junk food, and my mom raised me on Hostess products. Matter of fact, yesterday I cut my hand and cream filling came out. <laughs> to be specific, there was always in our home we had cupcakes and zingers and Susie Q's. My God, <laughs> Susie Q's. I love Susie Q's. Fruit pies, ding dongs, snowballs, Twinkies, ho ho's. It doesn't matter what they're called, they're all delicious, right? But if you look at the example of Twinkies, it all starts with a thought. And I will be at home, and I will think to myself, I love Twinkies. I really love Twinkies. I just had a Twinkie. It was fantastic. And then it graduates into, I deserve a Twinkie. I really deserve one. It's been that, that kind of, it's a Twinkie day. I deserve it. And so then it moves on, and I would say to myself, if I have two Twinkies, I will walk those calories off at some point in the next month. I deserve two Twinkies. And then I go, and I eat two Twinkies, and I keep the calories as well. Every single action begins with a single thought. If you don't think it, you don't do it. So my Twinkie problem is not a doing problem, it's a thinking problem. And so if we take that principle and we look at it theologically, hear me today, our mind is the battlefield for sin. It's not some external stimulus or circumstance or person or a devil with a pitchfork. It's not some external thing. It's the mind. It becomes a battlefield, and we always think that temptation is somewhere out there, but it's not. It's here. It wouldn't be temptation if there wasn't a corollary desire inside of you. Now, I'm going to give you something real solid today, so let's go to Romans chapter 7. I want you to look here at the words of Paul. This is so good, and you're going to totally get that this is not a teaching that's 2,000 years old. This thing is hot off the press today. Romans 7, verse 22. This is, is, is what, what Paul says. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. We all get that. You're here today because you delight in God's law. You dedicated some hours this morning to come to church. You got your kids ready. You want them to delight in God's law. So you've checked them in. You've put them back there. You're, you're, you're trustworthy that our staff is teaching them the best of their ability. You want to put God's word inside your children. You delight in it. We get it. Okay, this is Paul's thoughts. And then he says this, But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of the mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Man, I don't know about you, but I see me right, right there. I see that there's two dogs wanting the same meal. There's a tug of war. There's, there's two laws fighting inside of you. And you know how it is. One day you look over here and, and you think, man, I love God. I want to serve God. I want to do God. I want to know his word. And then the next day or the next moment, it's like you flip. and you, you But I want that too. I want, 
I want both. I, I, want, I want to hold hands with both. And, and so I want what the flesh wants, and I want what the Spirit wants. And, that's, and Paul said, this is, the, this is the struggle that we're all in. And so Paul is saying there's a battle for your brain. Hear me today. Because whatever gets your attention gets you. Whatever you dream about and hope for and think on and soak in and meditate on gets you. It gets your attention. You become those things. If you sit in a cesspool of defeat, you become defeated. If you sit in discouragement and bask in it and go over and over and over and over your circumstance, over and over again, you become that. As you think, so it is. Let me tell you something really good this morning. Here it is. Satan cannot control your thoughts. For some of you, that, that's new news for you. Because it feels like he has control of it, but he doesn't. He cannot control your thoughts. Now, on the flip side of that, God chooses not to control your thoughts. He made a pact with us that the will of man would not be invaded. And here's why that's important for all of us. Because the power of salvation is coupled by the blood of Jesus and your choosing to believe in it. Your will, coupling up with the will of God, becomes the most powerful transition in your whole life. God will not invade your will. He will not control your thoughts. But you can. The only author of your thoughts is you. You have control. You're the gatekeeper. You let in what you want. You keep out what you want. So Paul is talking about this in chapter 7 and chapter 8, and then he skips four chapters ahead in Romans 12, and he's been teaching this message for 12 chapters, and he's talking about life and tension and two laws tearing us apart, and he ends it with this great part in chapter 12, verse 2, and he says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He says, all of this can be under the control of the Holy Spirit when you renew your mind. Okay. Now, when, when we think church, we always think the soul. God's control about the soul. Everything else is, is, is not God's territory. He's out of his lane. If he wants me to you know, have a healthy body or healthy spirit, he only cares about the eternal part of me. But he's clearly addressing the connection here between mind, body, and soul. So how do, how do I do that? Kevin, if I'm here today and I want, I need to be transformed. I, I, I need my circumstance to be looked at differently. I, I got I to gotta move on. I'm stuck. I'm in a rut. I, I, my thought life is, is uncontrolling. I, I, I am out of, of control. How do I renew my mind? Let me give you three quick things quickly. Okay, the first one, I must feed my mind truth. I'm not talking about half-truth. I'm not talking about things that you wish were true. I'm not talking about lies that people told you that you hope come true. I'm talking about truth. Okay? And so this is what I'm going to call submitting my mind to God. So let me pause and just ask us, have we done this? 
Have we submitted our mind to God? Now let me use some Christian language. Typically, we, we would say, Lord, come into my heart. Lord, come, save my soul. Lord, I have a broken spirit. But have we intentionally gone to God and said, I want you to take control of my thought life. I give to you my thoughts, the way that I think, the patterns of my thinking. I turn over to your Holy Spirit to do a work in my life. Let me show you what Scripture says is going to happen when you think about God. Let's go to Psalm chapter 1, one of my favorite verses in Scripture. It says this, Oh, the joy of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating or thinking on it day and night. Okay, So he's saying there is going to be a people who, who want truth. Day and night they are thinking about it. They are meditating. They are thinking on, on the word of God. They want it. They're hungry for truth. It, it stands out, out to them. They, you put it before them, they'll drink it down. They want truth. He says, they are like trees planted by a river, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves will never wither, and they prosper in all they do. If you look at this metaphorically, think about it. You will be a person of strength, a person who is immovable unshakable, a person who no matter what season in your life you're bearing fruit, your leaves are not falling, and everything you set your hand to do will prosper, all because of truth, because you're hungry for it, because you want it. You're not the person sitting around with itching ears just, just hoping to get the next gossip train come by. You want truth, and that's where you want to spend your time. The Bible also tells us how to think. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, he says this, think on these things. Meaning this, if there is anything in your life that is not on this checklist, don't give it a thought. Is it going to come into your head? Sure it is. That's part of the human condition. You're going to think things sometimes, but you've got to have a back door to your mind. And when something comes in the front, you usher it right out the back. Do not give it a root system in your life. The second big thing, i got to take my thoughts captive. Okay, Sadly, you can be a prisoner to your own thoughts. Okay, Here's why. Because you have made your own thoughts the standard of truth in your life. You have exalted your own thought life above God's word, and your thoughts have now become the standard that guides your worldview. So when you look at Scripture, you go, that's good, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to interpret it, get an opinion about it, and then that interpretation and opinion then becomes higher than the word itself. That This is why people are pouring out into the streets right now in our country and why we look at, at our social media feeds and we're, we're overwhelmed because everyone has placed their thought as the standard for life. What I think about a topic, what I think about the president, what I think about the country, what I think about this, it, my opinion is the best opinion and if you don't like it, our country right now say, I'll hurt you, Okay. We're overwhelmed. This is strong, but listen, some of you right now in this room, someone in your life at some point said something really dumb to you. 
So you found a quiet place and you gave that statement some thought and then you let it mature into a belief. And now there's a monument in your mind dedicated to that belief and you have given it authority over you. You make decisions around it. You filter your self-esteem through it. You filter God through it. And it's got to be torn down because it's not a healthy thought. i got to get strong for just a moment. Some of you in this room, you have dedicated way too much thought to a former spouse. Someone that at some point in your life you loved, maybe you had kids with. You've moved on, they've moved on, but there is something in your life. Maybe it's, it's a date that triggers you, maybe it's a place, maybe it's a smell. It doesn't matter. They are still getting time in your mind. For some, you've dedicated way too much time to somebody who is now dead. They're not even on the planet anymore. That their soul is with God and you are still discouraged, frustrated at them. You, you have conversations with them and they're, they're not even here. For some, you've dedicated too much thought to someone who hurt you a decade ago and they haven't thought about you since they did what they did. But you continue to give them headspace. Let me give you some old-fashioned wisdom here. Martin Luther once said, you can't keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep it from pooping on your hair. Okay? I know that's country. I couldn't say that up north, but we get it. Okay? The translation here is this. You're going to think some things. You're going to think some stupid things, some self-defeating things, some hurtful things, some damaging things. You may even think some evil things. But you can stop those thoughts from developing a root system. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If you walk away with one verse in your gut, I want you to walk away with this one today. This is what it says. For the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God. To the pulling down of stronghold and the casting down of imagination. Let me pause for a second. Your imagination is not the truth. It's something you have formulated to fill in a gap where you don't know the whole truth. So you look at, at your life and you think, I don't know the whole story, but i got to fill in this gap. So I'm going to imagine what happened. And for some of you, you imagine multiple scenarios. And then you've got a ton of people involved that you think has a conspiracy against you, and suddenly your imagination becomes truth in your mind. And so your thoughts can be imprisoning. He says, casting down imagination, anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, meaning this, I know more than God. He says, no, I'm a, the weapon of our warfare is mighty through God, and it will pull down that, that whole attitude. But watch this. It says, bringing every thought, every thought, every thought into captivity unto the obedience of Christ. Meaning this, that the Holy Spirit, when you submit your mind to him, has the ability to take all those thoughts that I just said were stupid or demeaning or evil or hurtful or damaging, and he lassos them and pulls them into obedience unto Christ and still keeps Christ at the forefront of your thoughts. Okay, We all have... Every day is a battle of the mind. We say things out loud to ourselves. 
Life's not going to get any better. We say things like, why doesn't God hear me? No one sees how hard I work. What if I lose this job? What if I get cancer? What if I were married? What if I were not married? What if my spouse were like them? I wish I had kids. I wish my kids would leave. What if I had a better home, a bigger home, no way, a tiny home? We, we go back and forth between all these things. Even at church, listen, it won't take you five minutes to come in this place and find something that we don't do well. I love this church more than anybody, and it, doesn't, it won't take me but three minutes to find something that we don't do well, and it'll take me about 30 seconds to find something wrong with me. We have been critical down to a science. We know how to be critical. We, we, we were born into sin. We got critiquing down. We got judgment down. We know how to let our thoughts go. If that was mine, this is how I, I would look at it. And if that were my kid, this is what I would do. And if that were my job, that's, we, we know how to be critical. Okay? So watch this. I'm, I'm going to end, end with this. Your next is always connected to now. I know I've taught this principle before, but it ties in so well. Your next is connected to now. The reason your tomorrows never are getting or not getting better is because you keep dragging in today. You keep prophesying with your thoughts over your tomorrow, and it manifests. As a man thinks, so it is. So we're going to give birth to our thoughts. Great thoughts and ghastly thoughts, both of them are pregnant in the mind. I often tell you a story about Robbie and I losing a child. I do that not to upset you, but to let, let you know that like you, we're real people with real issues. And at the time that Kinley died, it could not have been, have been worse. We had just resigned a church where we were associate pastors. We were talking about church planning and thinking along those lines. And while all that was kind of manifest, we, we had wheels rolling forward in that, in that, with that plan. And in the meantime, I, was gonna, I had several friends in ministry, and I was going to go preach for them and cover for them and let them go on vacation. They hadn't had a vacation. I was going to cover different churches and speak and I was lined up for a couple three three months and when she died I called all those pastors and I canceled because I was too empty to share anything of value the thought of being in front of people trying to give weight to God's word on any topic at all just made me made me very nauseous and what I ended up with was no baby no job no no joy and Robbie had been working and she was off for maternity leave and with no child, she went back early. And so I was stuck. I didn't have a church to serve. I didn't have a, a, a job to go to. And I'd canceled all these speaking appointments. And so I sat at home and thought all day long. I thought. Because we had had a baby at UAMS, our names were on their database, and uh, you know they they issued those things out to to help you. And so, I went to the mailbox one day, and there were coupons in my mailbox for formula and samples of Pampers. And I thought to myself, I don't want to be alive. Not because I didn't value life or my life specifically, but because I wanted to escape the disappointment. Matter of fact, Riley was born the next March. And my thoughts for the first six months of her life was she's going to die. That's what I thought. Something's going to happen. She, she's going to get sick. This, this is just going to be a continuation of the sorrow. 
I wouldn't let Robbie leave me. She would say, I need to go buy grocery, just life stuff. I need to go, I need to do this. I need a break from you and the baby. I'd say, no, no, please. If you're going to the store, take all of it. We'll, we'll load up, we'll go with you. The motivation behind that was because I had so much fear I was going to hurt that child. I was going to drop it, hurt her. Something was going to happen. I wouldn't be able to resuscitate. I don't know. All this fear. And so these moments of thought turned into days and nights of thought. And days and nights of thought turned into weeks of thought, into months of thought, and ultimately a full year of thought. And I realized that my own thoughts were a prison. And I was just captive, full of fear. Everywhere I turned, scared to death. Wouldn't take my eyes off of her. Always had to hover. Be right there. John 8, verse 36 says this. He who the Son sets free is free. So I began to turn my mind over to God. I got into this, these chapters that I've been reading today. And I began to turn my mind over to God and said, Lord, I'm going to let you have all, all this fear. I'm going to let you have all of this. And I had held on so hard that like my spiritual knuckles were white. You know, just holding on to, to fear and frustration and discouragement and, and, and all those odd spiritual thoughts that we don't know what to do with. Like, God, I trusted you once. I don't, I don't know that I want to. So I'd, I'd, I'd rather be in control, okay? I turned all that over. And I began to have a renewing of my mind. To trust again, to love again, to let go of discouragement. To let truth get in my life again. To let the truth of God get in my life again and outweigh the frustration. Is it wrong to be discouraged when you lose in life? No. But it's wrong to stay discouraged. Because eventually the truth has to outweigh the disappointment. We call this all, all sort of things now hear me, I'm saying this very respectful. I'm a therapist myself, but I say this very, very respectful. We, we've labeled this now. We have names like depression, and anxiety, phobia. I'm scared to be alone. I'm scared to be in crowds. I'm scared to take a shower by myself. I, I'm just, I'm scared of my car. I'm, I'm scared to go to work. I, I'm scared to, to check my bank account. I, I don't, I don't know. I can't even function. I sleep too much. I don't sleep eat. Enough. I sleep for three days, then I'm up for three days. I don't. We've got so good at it that we professionally and medically label the stuff. We've somehow let thought become this big prison that we're just stuck in. But man, we need to hear again today that when the sun sets you free, you are free. So I want you you to just bow your heads with me quickly this morning.